Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints and worship in the word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. All right, well, we are starting a new series this morning on advancing the kingdom. We're talking about the kingdom of God. Um, Depending on your background, where you've been at church, the kingdom has been misrepresented in some places and in, in many others just kind of ignored, not talked about as a part of our faith, as a part of the good news. And so we're going to spend the next five Sundays talking about the kingdom of God. And as, as we move into this, um, kind of the, the third, fourth, and fifth Sunday especially, we will talk a lot about our role in carrying the kingdom to a world in need. But this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to talk kind of just defining like, what is the kingdom? What does it look like? What's the nature of the kingdom? How do we live and participate in the kingdom of God so that we know what we're carrying forward to a world that needs it? So the kingdom of God, that's where we're heading the next five weeks. So let me pray one more time um, because I think we ought to have the king ultimately give us insight into what it looks like to be citizens, ambassadors, inheritors, children in his kingdom. Those are, those are specific words used to describe us living in Jesus' kingdom. So let's invite him to come be our guide this morning. Jesus, as we've sung and as we've prayed already, we glorify you as our king. You're not just a king, you are the king above all kings, the Lord above all lords. God, first of all, it's just who you are. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we like it or not, you are the one true king. You're God, you're creator, you're ruler of all. But Lord, it's good news. You're a good king. And your kingdom is better than all other kingdoms that this world has to offer. God, would you make that real to us? Not just this morning as we go through your word, but God, would that be real to us in our day-to-day lives? How good it is for you to be our king. And God, would you show us how to live in your kingdom and how to carry it, God, to a world in great need? Would you be our guide this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So we got kind of three, three main things we're gonna focus on this morning. The first is just kind of the definition and value of the kingdom. The definition and value of the kingdom. The kingdom is of utmost importance. This might be somewhat unfamiliar territory for us, but it was not to Jesus. In fact, guys, it was his primary message, his primary message. In the gospels alone, the kingdom is referenced over a hundred times, like well over a hundred times. Jesus talked about it constantly. And it was so important to him that after spending his three and a half years of ministry 
talking about the kingdom, inviting people into the kingdom. Jesus goes to the cross. He's killed. He's buried. He's resurrected. And he gets a very brief time, 30 or 40 days, about a month, to spend time with his followers, his disciples, before he returns to heaven. And the primary thing that he did with them during those 40 days was this. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Jesus presented himself alive. We have a living king. In fact, he's not just a living king. He's a resurrected king. The worst this world could do to him has already happened. And he's emerged victorious. He's the living resurrected king. So he presented himself to them as the alive king after his suffering by many proofs. Appearing to them during 40 days. And what did he talk to them about? About the kingdom of God. About the kingdom of God. Jesus was excited to invite, to share, to teach about his kingdom. And that is what being a follower of Jesus is all about. It's recognizing his kingdom and its great value and embracing it and understanding our place in it. And so to Jesus, it was of utmost importance. It had a primary place in his life and in his teaching. And friends, it was of extreme value. One of the simplest parables he gave talking about the kingdom is found in Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. He's saying when we discover the kingdom, what we should see is something of great value to be treasured. In fact, it's worth giving up everything else in order to have it. That's Jesus' view of his kingdom. It's of utmost importance. It's incredibly valuable. And so this, this kingdom is unique in its importance and value. I want you to see a few things here. I'm gonna, gonna read um, from Dallas Willard um, a couple things that he sa- said about the kingdom. Then we're gonna look at some scripture verses that kind of support this. What is a kingdom? How do we define it? Like, it's great to say it's important and it's a value. How do we define it? Listen, let's not overcomplicate this, which coming from Dallas Willard, if you've read him, he can be complicating at times. He can be difficult to understand, but this is a simple idea. So first he says, our kingdom, meaning you and I, our kingdom is simply the range of our effective will. So the realm where the things that I want to see done get done. My house, my home, maybe some work responsibilities that I have, just my very life. That's the realm of my effective will, things that I can control. Now, there's always an element where I don't have control, but there there are things that fall within my area of influence. That's my kingdom. Now, talking about God's kingdom then, now God's one kingdom or rule is the range of his effective will. Where what he wants done is done. 
So his kingdom is where what he wants done gets done. There's this really famous passage. Um, maybe you know it from Christmas time. Like we gather for services and we usually read this passage at Christmas time. Or maybe you're super familiar with Charlie Brown's Christmas special. And Linus shows up carrying his little blankie out onto the stage. And he reads this passage about what Christmas is all about. But I want you to read this through the lens of kingdom. Listen to the description here of this child, Jesus born to us and what this is for. Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven. For unto us, a child is born to us. A son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. Prince of Peace. Look at just some of the beautiful descriptions of the value of him as our king. He's wonderful. Listen, there's a whole lot of rulers in this world, past, present, and there will be in the future that are not wonderful. And for most of our lives, we experience the consequences of less than wonderful kings, rulers, authority figures. Maybe people in our own homes where we grew up. Maybe people in actual positions of authority in government or at jobs. Yet he is wonderful. He's our counselor. He gives good direction, good instruction. He's mighty. He's eternal. And he brings peace. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government... And of peace, there will be no end. There is peace in his kingdom and it's just gonna continue to grow and increase and it will not end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God is gonna do this. Now, Isaiah says from this time forth, he's, he's projecting into the future about a coming king who will be born unto us. Has that king now been born? Yes. His name is Jesus. And from that time forth and forevermore, Jesus spoke in terms of the kingdom being present tense. Now, I don't want to confuse us or trip us up here. There is, there is a, a sense in which his kingdom is still yet to come. But his kingdom is currently present and available. One example of this, there's many throughout Jesus' time here on earth. One example is found in Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. The Pharisees are asking him about authority. And Jesus is responding to them. And so being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered then, the kingdom of God is not coming in the ways that can be observed, nor will, this, will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. It's here. It's present. In fact, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And how, how did he teach them to pray? Matthew's gospel, chapter six, verses nine and 10. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, in the time that we currently live in, God's effective will in heaven happens all the time without end forever and ever. And Jesus is teaching us to recognize that he has ushered in the very kingdom of God here and now. And so our lives ought to be aligned in such a way. The very prayer of our lives. This isn't just about like something I sort of repeat, you know, although we ought to do that. I believe in praying the Lord's prayer. It's not about just like a religious mantra that we kind of just say over and over again. It's about the very prayer of my life. The prayer of my heart is God, would your kingdom come like right here, right now in my life, through my life? God, what if the things that you wanted to have happen were happening in my home every day? What would that look like? God, what if the way that I conduct myself in my work life What if I was doing the very things you would like to see happen there? Do I honor you in the way that I work, the way that I treat people? God, in the lives of my children. This is what the kingdom is about. It's about where the king is in charge, what he wants done is done. And the kingdom is a great place to be because first and foremost, it's rooted in who the king is. He's a good king and he has a good kingdom and it is of great value and worth and it is of ultimate importance. Jesus invites all to come into his kingdom and he says, man, it's good. It's valuable. It's the place where what God wants done is done. Now, what is important to note then, if that's a bit of a definition for you, a little working definition and a description of its importance and value, then the question is, how do we experience the kingdom of God? And when Jesus talked about the kingdom over and over again, he emphasized a key word that is a part of entering and experiencing his kingdom. And so this leads us right into point two, entering into the kingdom. Matthew chapter four, verse 17 is one example of what Jesus repeated over and over and over again. From that time, this is Jesus starting his earthly ministry. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. At hand doesn't mean it's going to be here soon. It means present, available. The kingdom of God is available. Repent. That's the call to repent, to change course. Friends, whether we realize it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, we are little kings and queens of our own little kingdoms. And we spend most of our lives where this king, I might not get what I want, but I try really hard to get what I want. We run our life and we base it on all kinds of different philosophies or ideas. 
Like the, the primary issue in our culture is not all of these little areas that, of things that we fight and argue over. It's the overriding issue of who's in charge. By what values do we decide and govern who's in charge? And so there is an endless supply of earthly kingdoms. See, Paul gets right to the the source of this issue, why it's so important to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand when he sets up this, this incredible letter to the Romans. Like he spends so much of this letter just unpacking what it means to experience the grace of God and to participate in his kingdom. But he opens it with very sobering news. And so I want to give you a sense of this. I I highly recommend that you familiarize yourself with Romans chapter one. Like it is, it is a vital chapter. And what should stand out to you really quickly when you read Romans chapter one is nothing really changes. That the, the same things we see in front of us today were the same things that were happening 2000 years ago in Rome and around the world. It's like, it's like, I was going to say reading the newspaper. We don't really read the newspaper much anymore. Do we have any like old school, like a paper still comes to your house and you flip through pages and get the, the ink on your fingers? Does anybody do that? Will anybody even admit to that? Okay. Someone's not admitting, but their spouse is admitting it for them. <laughs> so your phone, your television, wherever you get news, maybe you ignore it. I don't know. But if we were to pay attention to what's happening around us, we could just read Romans 1 and get a really good description. So I want to give you a sense of this, though. Let's check this out. So first of all, Paul starts by, by saying what we've already said, like this thing is valuable and it's important and it's wonderful and he's excited to share it. And so in Romans 1, 15 through 17, he begins by saying, so I am eager to preach the gospel, which just means good news. The good news to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I already see problem one for many of us in the church today. I'm ashamed of some or maybe all of the gospel. I'm ashamed of things that the king says are right or the things that the king says are wrong. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's good news. And I'm eager to share it with you, even though, as we'll see, it's going to confront them in some incredibly personal in powerful ways. He says, I'm eager to share it with you and I'm not ashamed of it. It's good news. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul is sharing good news for all that is rooted in faith, putting our faith in God. And when you see faith, you you should really hear belief in action. We have stripped faith of some of its power by simply implying that faith means belief, like a mental acknowledgement of something. That's, it means more than that. Faith is belief in 
action. I live my life based upon this truth. I'm trusting in this reality. I'm trusting in God as king. Now, he begins to get into the problem. Why do we need this power of God for salvation? Verses 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That is the primary issue. Friends, we're going to see more of this as we go, but like when we talk about sin, there are certainly sinful behaviors. There are ways that we live and treat our own bodies that are sinful and damaging. There's ways that we live and treat others in sinful ways that are damaging. So there absolutely are sinful behaviors. But the primary root sin, first and foremost, is this. It's not, it's not the outworking of sin in my life. It's first primarily the core issue. And the core issue is I am basing my life on a lie that someone else besides him is king. That's it. Maybe there is no king. There's no such thing as God. So I, I define my own existence and way of living. Maybe it's an age-old religion that's been around for a long time and I, I kind of pick and choose various religions. Maybe it's, it's putting my hope in a certain approach, you know, politically, socially. Maybe it's a certain ideology that I, I believe in, but in some form or fashion, whether we put ourselves on the throne or another idea or concept on the throne or another person on the throne, it's all based in a lie. There is one true God and King. And that is what we need to repent of is rejection of him. See, I think one of the issues we have in sharing the gospel sometimes is like, sometimes I'm talking to somebody that's like an incredible person. Like you are a great person. You love your spouse. You're kind to people. You're good. Like, what do I need to repent of? Because we've simplified it down to behaviors first. No, the issue is there's a God and he's king. And have I recognized that? And have I properly aligned my life with him? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's why all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even the very best of us are in need of saving. So they suppress the truth. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Guys, we've got people jumping through hoops, contradicting biology, nature itself to justify the way we live and think. But it is clearly plainly seen. The idea of an intelligent designer who has made this world and made us uniquely in his image. Paul says it's clearly seen. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Friends, every single one of us 
when we separate ourselves from the God of the universe in some form or fashion, we are suppressing this truth and that's the root issue. And so what does that lead to? Everything else. Verses 20 and 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Had a very just kind of funny interaction yesterday at the house and, you know, relatively common with a house full of kids. I've got six kids. Um, a couple of my kids have down syndrome. And so my daughter, Abby, who has down syndrome, she's at the house and we're kind of hanging out. And I'd, I'd kind of finally sat down after doing a little bit of work around the house yesterday. And so I'm in the living room and the way, the way our house is, there's kind of this, this hallway here and then our kitchen and then our dining room and the living rooms here. And she had the doors closed to the dining room and the door closed to the hallway. And I just, I, you know, it's like an hour before dinner and I hear a cabinet door open. And then I hear that very familiar rustle of a chip bag, you know, just that rustle crunch kind of sound that it makes. I hear it. And it's like, Abby, babe, no chips right now. We're about to eat dinner. Abby, uh, uh, nothing, dad, I'm not doing anything. And then I hear her walk and go through. She purposely goes through the kitchen to the dining room, even though it's a less direct route. And so she's making her way down and I know what's going on. So I jump up and I open the dining room door and she's standing kind of right in the doorway where like this half of her is in the kitchen and this half of her is in the dining room, just like this. Dad, I didn't do anything. Abby, I'm pretty sure you did. Can you, can I see what's in your other hand? Ugh. Just that teenage, ugh. And pulls the chip bag out and there it is. She thought for sure she was getting away with it. She was convinced in her own mind, dad has no idea what's going on. I'm in charge. I want some chips, which, hey, can't blame the girl. I want some chips. I'm going to eat some chips. I don't care if it's about to be dinner. I want these potato chips. And so, listen, that's a silly example, but like, we do that. That's what we're all doing. I want this I'm going to get it. I'm going to justify it any way that I can. I have every right to do it and pretend like he doesn't see, he doesn't know, or maybe even convince myself he's not real. But it's all rooted in a lie. Friends, all of these philosophies that exist, religions, political ideologies, social ideologies, just basic worldviews, Whether we've thought them out or not, we live by them. And if they run counter to the truth, then they are foolish and they will fail. See, the gospel isn't just offering an alternative. It's offering the only alternative. The rest of it isn't true. There is no true substance that will satisfy If it was actually possible for people to be satisfied simply by having freedom and autonomy and getting whatever they want when they want it, wouldn't America just be a beautiful place to live right now? But it's not. But it's not. And so then we see some of the, I'm I'm hitting them very quickly. You could read through the, the rest of the verses, but I want you to see the two key ideas 
I would still encourage you to read the specific behaviors listed because they're many and they're varied, but I want you to hear the two ideas behind all of these behaviors. The first is this, verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Friends, the beauty of the kingdom of God is that he gives us the freedom not to do it. He gives us the freedom. Okay. You want to live as if I don't exist? I'm, I'm allowing you to do that. Whether we like it or not, he's, he's giving us that freedom. So any freedom that we have or we want to grab or we want to hold onto, whether we like it or not, we only have it because he's allowed it. It's a gift from him. That was a gift. Just taking a breath. That's a gift. I didn't do anything to earn that, to make that happen. I didn't make some grand eternal decision to be born. It's a gift. He's given it to us, but he gives us the freedom to live apart from him. And he says right there, there's going to be a brokenness. There's a brokenness in your heart and mind when I give you over to that. And that's what we see. And so one of the big problems, well, actually, let me read this next verse first. So that's one issue. When I decide to remove his authority from my life, I'm given over to that way of living. And it's a foolish way of living. And I become less than. Shaking off God's rule in my life doesn't give me more. It gives me less. It degrades me. The most wonderful thing in his creation are the people that he made in his image. We aren't throwing off the shackles of an oppressive God. We're putting on shackles that lower us and debase us. That's the first issue. Here's the second issue that we especially need to pay attention to in the church. And that's verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. When we are ashamed of the gospel, when we lower the standard of God being king, we are approving the very things that are killing us all. We're approving a life that is harmful to people that God loves and he cares about. This isn't just about punishment, like, oh, God's a cruel God and he's gonna punish people. No, that way of living is destructive. If I don't cooperate with truth, if I instead live based on a lie, that's damaging. Listen, I can convince myself that I'm Superman and I can fly. And the minute I climb up on the roof of a really tall building, I am free in my belief to believe that I am Superman. And the minute I jump off of that building, I have all absolute freedom to do that. But I am going to experience reality when I jump off of that building. And the thing I hit is called reality. This is, this is 
It's good news because he's warning us, guys, if you live apart from me, it only ends one way. It's a destructive way to live while you're living it and it ends in death. And so Paul's saying, listen, we got to wake up. If we're living that way ourselves, wake up and repent. And if we are enabling others to live that way, we got to repent and we got to start being honest. We got to speak the truth in love. That's why you can't separate the two. The two. It's truth in love. If we just use Romans 1 as a weapon to beat people up for living a bad life, we're missing the point. Romans 1 is followed by all the chapters that come about the good news of Jesus Christ and his kingdom and God's grace to redeem our lives, to heal this world. Paul says in Romans, like the creation itself is groaning. What's it groaning for? It's not just groaning for the savior. It's groaning for the sons and daughters of God. The earth is longing for people who will wake up and acknowledge God as God and allow him to be king. And so what we do is in our debased way of thinking, guys, even, even as believers who are being redeemed, like, like, I don't know where everybody is at this morning. I think generally many of us in this room would say, I love Jesus. I've given my life to him. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm making him king in my life. And we're in this process that, that Paul describes again in Romans chapter 12, where we're being renewed, right? Our minds, our previously debased minds are being renewed. I'm in process. But what a lot of the church is doing right now is in still some broken ways of thinking, we are sitting back in judgment of God and the scripture instead of the other way around. Letting the king and his decrees sit in judgment of us giving us clear direction. And so all these hoops we're trying to jump through to, to redefine God and his love and what he's about, or we just act as if he doesn't exist at all. Every bit of that is not cooperating with truth. And every bit of that leads to destruction and death. Church, we have got to wake up to kingdom reality. We've got to live it ourselves in truth. And then we need to carry it to a world in need. How do we enter the kingdom? Well, we already read in Matthew 4. Now we read again in Mark 1. Picking up kind of in the middle of verse 14 and on through verse 15. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Our only hope is rooted in a complete change. It's rooted in a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of aim and focus. What is my life about? What is my life aimed at? Like if I've just, if I've, if I've simplified the gospel down to, you know, I was sinning and struggling and living kind of a hard life and Jesus loved me and forgave me the end. I'm, I'm missing it. He loved me, forgave me, healed me, and ushered me into his kingdom. 
I'm about to say some strong words, but the late great A.W. Tozer once said that if we won't receive him as Lord, we can't have him as Savior. We need to preach a full gospel. Kingdom doesn't mean I'm earning my salvation. Kingdom means I have been rescued by the radical grace of God. I've been freed from my old way of living and my old aims that do not work. And I've aligned my life with truth. And I've received what Jesus has done for me that I cannot do for myself. And now it is my great joy to live in his kingdom. I mean, what did I get saved from? I got saved from brokenness to experience life. And so I get to enjoy now life in the kingdom. And so I enter in through repentance, through a change of life. Friends, at, at the root of this is a miracle. Nicodemus, a faithful guy who loved God, Pharisee, comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, just trying to figure out who Jesus is, what he is about. And we get a glimpse of this scene in John chapter three, beginning in verse three. Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I just, I wish I could see Jesus' face after he said that. Like, oh, buddy, you're missing it. (laughs) And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Friends, I believe that Jesus' kingdom ultimately touches very real, tangible, practical things. I believe that. I believe God would love to see political solutions, social solutions that are led and motivated and touched by his kingdom. But friends, we've got to understand that first and foremost and always, this is about a radical heart change that the core of who I am, I need to be remade. The only way I can even begin to see and recognize the beauty of God's kingdom is to be born again. We cannot force the kingdom onto people who don't want it. Every law in this land could be rooted in the scripture. And if we're forcing people in the flesh to follow it, it's not the solution. And for far too long, the church has been relying on that. Not saying we shouldn't be involved with our vote and our voice. I'm saying we're relying upon it to change things. And that is not the solution. People needed a radical encounter with the love of God. Our spirits need to be remade and renewed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And when my spirit has been changed and my mind can begin to be renewed and then the life I live can begin to reflect that more and more because my spirit has been touched by the spirit of God. I'm cooperating with reality. I'm cooperating with the Garden of Eden. Like you wanna know why this is a beautiful kingdom? Go read the first couple chapters. It's awesome. That's God's heart and intent for people. Man, that we would enjoy connection with him. We were made for the garden. We were made for that kind of beauty and life, connectedness with him and one another. Peace, harmony, it's it's beautiful. 
And God is in the process of restoring that, of redeeming that. And he wants to do it little by little, step by step, one life at a time. His kingdom, this side of his return, happens in our lives as we choose to repent and cooperate with his kingdom, as we allow his spirit to change our spirits. Like when I carry the spirit of something, one of the things that means is I carry the essence of it, the essence of it. I get to be a carrier of the essence of heaven. And so his kingdom can come in and through my life. And this is what Jesus has done for us. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, just a simple, beautiful picture of it. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's redeeming our lives as we enter into his kingdom and we repent. Now, friends, if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, Jake, I agree with all of this. I've heard much, if not all of this before. And friends, I just, I want to say to you, just by way of a reminder, this is the way into the kingdom. And, and do I recognize that the people around me need this? And am I truly cooperating with the kingdom? Like I might not need to repent in the sense of like, Jesus, would you come into my heart that I may be born again? But what I may need to do is be honest about some ways that my life is not aligning with his kingdom. Some ways where I'm still holding on to that wheel and going, this is where my life is aimed. This is what's important to me. This is what gets my focus, my time, my attention. Where I'm, I'm still holding on and not relinquishing control. There may be some places in my life where I need to repent. That's part of Jesus sanctifying us along the way. Like my life is letting the king in more and more. Hey, maybe I've let him into the living room, but if I let him into the dining room, does he have access to that closet over there? Have I let him in to that spot, this space? And so we repent when, it, when we recognize areas where we're holding on to control, we repent and we let the king be the king. And so very simply, I'm going to wrap up with this because this is almost, my last point is really a preview of next week. So if we recognize the kingdom and how to enter in, then we can begin to participate now. In Matthew chapter 28, some famous words, we refer to this as the Great Commission. I want you to pay attention to this in the context of kingdom. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority... Who's the king? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what is he going to do with that authority? Ride in on the right horse and take over? Yeah, later. That's coming. What's he doing right now? He's using all heavenly and earthly authority to commission us to go live it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That's the entry point. It's it's an identification marker. God, I belong to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe occasionally some of the things that I've written or said. 
encouraging them to observe certain really quotable Bible verses that are great to share on Instagram or work out perfectly as a magnet on your fridge. No. Teaching them to observe all that I have suggested to you. Isn't it funny how we read past this stuff and sometimes if we just don't stop to consider what the opposite is, you know, then we realize, oh, oh, he, Jesus like commanded me to do some things. It's almost like he thinks he's in charge. He's the king. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And here's the really good news. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I love the way Dallas Willard summarizes this. By relying on his word and presence. That's what Jesus just said. By relying upon his word and his presence, we are enabled to reintegrate the little realm. Remember what I was talking about earlier? Our little kingdom. We are enabled to reintegrate the little realm that makes up our life into the infinite rule of God. My little realm becomes a part of his kingdom. I'm enabled to do that again by relying on his word and presence. I'm caught up in his active rule. Our deeds become an element in God's eternal history. Man, get you some of that. That's it. I'm enabled by his word and his presence. It's of great value. It's of great worth. We're invited to enter in. What does that take? Man, the hardest thing in the world, giving up control. It involves surrender. It involves repentance. I need to do it daily in my life, walking with him. And I need to encourage others to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus that they may be renewed from a broken, debased way of living and thinking to a life that is aligned with the one who is truth. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who has all authority and has invited us to experience his kingdom right now. It's at hand. Amen, somebody? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the beauty of your kingdom. Thank you that you are a good king, that you are wonderful and you're, you're a good counselor, that you're mighty, that you bring peace, that you rule in righteousness and mercy. God, thank you that you wanna bring what's right into our lives, but thank you that you are merciful in our brokenness, God. Jesus, thank you that you've, you've done the work. God, that you have made a way for us to be redeemed and made new. Thank you that you are a good king and that we can participate in your good kingdom. Lord, I pray more and more that our lives would align with your kingdom by the power of your word and by the power of your presence in our lives. Lord, would you help us to recognize even right now today areas where we might need to repent and let you be the king that you are. We love you, we worship you, and we surrender to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Awesome. All right, guys. Have a great week. Let's live cooperating with his kingdom this week. Can we do that? Yeah, we can do it by his grace. Amen. Y'all have a great week.